not sure how to respond to that. <laughs> it is a wonderful blessing to be here with you today. Happy Sabbath to everyone. And it is a wonderful blessing to be right here in my home church. It's kind of interesting, you know, I thought, you know, if I am you know, able to speak of my home church, you know, at least I'll be able to be together with my church family and my own family. And it turns out that today was Pathfinder Sabbath and my family's not here. So, um, But it's a, a wonderful privilege to be here together with you. Bring you greetings from your sister churches in Michigan. And it's a wonderful blessing to be a part of a sisterhood of churches, isn't it? And to know that we may be worshiping together here, but there are churches around this city, around this state, around this world that are honoring the Lord on the Sabbath day. What a blessing it is to be a part of the family of God. Hope you have your Bibles with you today. You have your Bibles? Amen. Amen. Well, before we get into the Word of God this morning, I'd like to have one more prayer. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads with me. Oh, Father in heaven, it is a wonderful privilege to be in the house of God this morning. And even more so to know that we are joined by thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 that worship before your throne. And Lord, when we think of that, we think far beyond just the pews that are filled upon this earth, but the countless millions that sing holy, holy, holy before your throne. Oh Lord, how we want to be able to worship before you in spirit and in truth today. So I pray, Father, that you would be here with us. Send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way to stir our hearts as we open your word together. Lord, I pray that your word would be heard and that I'd be hidden behind the cross. Speak through me, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I've been reading through the book of Esther recently. It's amazing when you read the book of Esther. Have you noticed how many parallels there are? Well, parallels on many different uh, areas. One, there are so many parallels in the book of Esther to the end of time, aren't there? I mean, it's absolutely incredible when you see the history of God's people in the book of Esther, how there was a universal decree for their destruction. And you know the movements of Bible prophecy. It's incredible. But even on a, a Christmas theme, too, it, you know, when there's the deliverance, they have, you know, they established the Feast of Purim. And in Esther 9, you read that... On a yearly basis, they would celebrate what God had done for them. And you know what they did in that celebration? I mean, look at this. In verse um, 22, it says that the days of the Jews, which the Jews had, rest from the enemies as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy 
This is Esther 9, verse 22. End of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that when they thought of what God had accomplished for them, their hearts were turned in gratitude and celebration and thanksgiving. But the book of Esther has another portion that I want to focus on in our time together this morning. And that is, you know the flow of it, right? Esther is, she's made queen because the king had banished the previous queen. She's made queen and her uncle or her cousin, Mordecai, sits in the king's gate. And Mordecai is in the king's gate and there is another man who is made prominent in the kingdom, the second man in the kingdom, and had extraordinary influence, extraordinary power. You remember his name? Haman. Haman. Even sounds like a, I mean, a, a name that just, you know, gives you some shivers a little bit. <laughs> Haman, I mean... He was a powerful man. And when he would go around, he commanded, but also demanded respect. And you know the story. Mordecai chose not to bow before him. Now, if it would have been a bow out of respect, Mordecai was a very humble man. He would have gladly shown respect to such a man, but in no way could he humble himself in a way that would give what Haman desired, and that was worship that only belongs to God. So Haman is, he notices this. You know, there are probably a lot of people that were distracted or whatever, maybe other people didn't bow, but when someone refused to do it, he noticed it because that is what he desired, and he knew that Mordecai represented not just himself, but he represented a whole nation of people who gave their allegiance to the God of heaven and would never give him the worship that he wanted. So, you know, he goes before the king and he paints a false picture of a people that were really a harm to the kingdom. And a decree is passed... Mordecai tells Esther, you've been brought for such a time as this. Esther goes in before the king, asks for a, a banquet. She invites the king and Haman. They go that night. She doesn't reveal her request, but asks him to come back the next day. And this is where it starts to get really intense. You know, Esther is one of those books that you read, even though you know the end of the story, you can't help but the, the building anticipation of what is coming. Because Haman cannot wait for the decree to happen to take Mordecai's life. Because every day, I mean, Mordecai sits in the king's gate. He goes in and out when he comes to see the king. Every time he goes past him, he cannot stand the sight of him. So every day his hatred grows for Mordecai. 
So he makes the plans. He gets counsel from his, his wife, his friends, and he decides he's going to put up a tree and he's going to hang Mordecai on it. And so that night, you know, the king can't sleep. But Haman can't sleep either. <laughs> and it's just, it's just incredible. The king, it says in... Um, yeah, in Esther chapter 6, he can't sleep, so he calls for his servant, and he asks for the servant to come and read to him. Now, just the title of what he has read to him can, it kind of makes you want to yawn. He has him read to him the, let me read it here, the book of the records of the Chronicles. How does that sound like an interesting book to read? Now, I know you all have your routine at night that helps you go to sleep. I've heard some interesting stories about what people listen to to put them to sleep. But this sounds like it might do the trick. So while the king is having this brought to him to hear the reading of the Chronicles, trying to fall asleep because of the, the anxiety upon his heart for what Esther is wanting to, to uh, reveal to him, Haman, on the other hand, can't sleep because he wants to hang Mordecai on those gallows. So the king is listening. It comes to the part in the Chronicles where there was a plot to take the life of the king. And there was a faithful servant who told the king and saved the king's life. And so the king asks... What was done? What honor or dignity was shown to this servant of mine who, who saved my life? And of course, nothing has been done. It's just about daylight. Haman has been making his way to the king's court. He's at the king's, uh, in the, just before the king. And the king is trying to figure out what he should do to honor this servant. And then there's Haman. I mean, I love it. It's just incredible. Who's standing there, he says. Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king says, let him come in. So Haman comes in and the king says to Haman, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman thinks in his heart, who could the, Lord, who could the king delight to honor more than me? <laughs> and it becomes natural for him. It is so easy. I mean, it is easy for him to quickly think about what the king should do for the one whom he delights to honor. Why was it so easy for him? Because of the selfish pride in his own heart. It was easy for him to think about what he would want. The, the best that he could have done to himself was so easy for him to think about. And at the same time as that was easy, that it was so easy for him to think about the worst to do to those that he hated. So he says, oh, that's easy, king. Take your robe, wrap it around him. And then he just, the list just unfolds. 
It reminds me of, you know, when our kids were little, you know, and they'd want to hear the story over and over. <laughs> Even though I knew they knew it, when it comes to the punchline, you know, they could hardly sit in their seats because, you know, Daddy, tell me that story. They knew the ending, but they couldn't help the anticipation. This is what I feel like when I read this story. Because here's all this happening, and the king says to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horses you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew. And Haman's world collapses. He goes in humiliation to do for someone else what he wanted to be done for him. And this is the point of the story that I want to bring out today. Haman only did what he wanted for himself for someone else because he was forced to do it. It was easy for him to think about what to do wrong to Mordecai. It was easy for him to think about what he wanted for himself, but the only reason why he turned and did it for someone else is because he is forced to do it. And this is the point right here. Jesus teaches us that choosing to do that is the order of heaven. And I'm telling you today that that is a power that will change this world. Choosing to bear the worst and give the best is a power that will make Christianity be a light to this world and will help us to give the message that we have in Jesus to a world that is quickly coming to a close. You know, Jesus came to this world. He came not to be served. What does the scripture say? Matthew 20 and verse 28. What does it say? Jesus says to them, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That is the example of Christ, and that is the example that Christ has given to us and calls us as his disciples to in these last days of earth's history. Friends, if there was ever a time when God was calling for us to live the life of a Christian, it is today. It is today. Jesus has given us an, a mission. When Christ came and he organized the church, he organized the church for what? For service. He organized us. When he brought us together, he brought us together to live our lives in sacrificial service to those around us. And he gave us a mission, and that mission is to take the gospel to the world. Amen. And Christ knew that as his disciples went into the world, Bearing the worst, even at significant loss, and giving the best, 
hearts would be opened to the truth. And that his disciples could share with them the things that are coming upon the world. That they would gain a confidence and a trust that we could open up to them the everlasting gospel. We could show them that there is a message that must go out because Jesus is coming again soon. And he's coming for a people that are ready to meet him. When you look at the life of the Christian, not from a societal point of view, but from a scriptural point of view, it is a life that is absolutely extraordinary. If we would only learn that the best gifts are lived, not wrapped, that the best gifts are those that we go to live our lives to be a blessing to those around us. And not just to live to bless them in this life here, but to live in a way and teach in a way and give the message in a way that will prepare them to live for eternity in the world to come. You know the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus gives us a gift of gold. He calls it the, we call it the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12, Jesus says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You remember the Apostle Paul, he says, learn, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's very similar to Jesus says that there are two great commandments. And what are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your Soul with all your strength. You have to read both accounts of that to get all four of those. And then do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. But I want to show you, when, when you look at the, the teaching of Christ, I mean, it's absolutely, it is, when you talk about revolutionary in thought, I mean, it is beyond because when you read this the sermon on the mount especially many call the golden rule kind of the capstone of that sermon you can go into almost any other uh, religion or great teachers in history and you can find the golden rule it's just in the negative it'll say like this Whatever you don't want people to do to you, don't do that to them. Or don't do to others those things that you hate. But Christ comes and he turns it. He says, not only don't do those things that you don't want done to you, don't only avoid doing those things to others, that, the things that you hate, but go and do to them the things that you would want do, done to you. So don't only avoid, but do. <laughs> and that's what you see in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll see Christ saying, when someone comes and they have hatred towards you, and they smack you on one side of the face, not only does he say, don't hit them back, he doesn't even say just, Grit your teeth and take it. What does he say to do? 
It says, turn. Turn your other cheek toward them. Turn it towards them. He says things like, don't just, or don't hate your enemy. Don't even just tolerate your enemies, but love them. If someone curses you, don't curse them back. Don't even just ignore the curses. But what does he say to do? Bless them. Is that not extraordinary? You see, Christ knew that his disciples, as they went to live lives like that, People would see and they would know that this, these people have a power within them that they themselves don't have. They would see that and they would want, they would yearn for something that they know that they don't have and that they haven't found anywhere else. I mean, Jesus says, don't, if someone takes your shirt... Give them your coat too. Jesus says, if someone compels you to go one mile, you know, in, in the Roman era, they were under occupation, right? The law was that a Roman could come and he could compel you by law to go with them up to a mile. So they have a, you know, a train of soldiers coming. They want you to come carry their stuff. That's the exact same. That's the exact thing that happened to, what was his name who carried Jesus' cross? Simon, right? He was compelled to do that. Now I think looking back on that, he realized that was the greatest honor and blessing that could have ever happened to him. The rest of his life, I'm certain he praised the Lord. Lord, thank you that I had the privilege to carry that cross. But Jesus is saying, you do have that privilege. If someone compels you one mile, go with them too. You're carrying my cross. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling to think about it. Think about just that in our homes. If in our homes, in our marriages, that the husband would bear the worst and give the best. The wife would bear the worst and give the best. Now in our household, I see my dear wife doing that all the time. I mean, works a full day, comes home, she gets, I mean... Man, we don't appreciate our wives as much as we should. And we, we need to look more. How can we be that blessing in our homes? How can our children see us as their parents bearing the worst, not complaining about it, but joyfully bearing it, and then turning and giving that which is not deserved but freely given? You think about the story of Esther and Haman. Look at what Christ did for us. Christ was hung on a tree. And he gave us his robe to wear. 
not out of force or compulsion, but freely choosing it. Christ chose it. I just, what if we would live the life of a Christian? And what if in these last days we were to live our lives as Seventh-day Adventist Christians who know that the end of all things is upon us? And we forget about the world because the world is passing away and all the lust of it. But our love is not for this world, but for those in this world. Scripture reading this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 really gives a picture of a Christian living these principles. The Apostle Paul, he says, For though I am free, I don't have to, but I freely choose to make myself a servant to all for one purpose, that I might win all the more. Friends, that is what Christ is calling us to in these last days. He's calling us as never, if there were ever a time, it is now. It is now. We look around this world, things are changing at such a rapid pace. I mean, you can't, from last spring until about three weeks ago, I hadn't looked at the news one time. It had been like seven months. Just because of just being, you know, a lot going on. And I felt, you know, I don't need to because I know. Well, one thing I figured, if something's bad enough, someone's going to tell me, you know. But this world is changing. It's like you can go and it's, it's not even a surprise anymore. It's almost you go to look at the news expecting to see, okay, what has happened now? And if something hasn't happened, it's almost a sense of disappointment, like, oh, okay, nothing's happened, you know? That's, that's the rapid pace of the deterioration of this world. And this is, this is the, the frightening thing. While we see it, the things that are coming upon this world are going to come upon most as an overwhelming surprise. They're going to come upon most as an overwhelming surprise. That's why Christ is calling us to go to live extraordinary lives. And I'm telling you, friends, today that there's only one way to live a life like that. And that is for us to surrender our lives day by day, moment by moment, and ask Christ to live his life in me and you. We can't do it. We can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, 
I want you to live your life in me. I want you to give your life and put it in my life. Because it's not just, Lord Jesus, help me. It's, Lord Jesus, live in me, because I cannot do that. But if you live in me, I know that I can choose to do. I can choose to take that which is the worst and give which is the best. You can speak through me to implore to those around me for them to give their lives to Jesus. I want to encourage us, this year is just weeks away from closing. You know, there are times that are natural in our lives that just lend themselves to reevaluation, to contemplation, to just thoughtful thinking about where we are with God. You know, that's a biblical principle to examine ourselves, to know whether we are in the faith. I want to encourage us, let's examine. Rather, not just us examine, say, Lord Jesus, you with your loving, searching eyes, search me through and through and see if there's any wicked way in me. And then lead me in that way everlasting. Friends, as this year is coming to a close, let's press to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, I don't want this year to close without me making sure that I'm hidden in you. And as this year closes and the new year begins, Lord Jesus, help me to stay in you. And a day by day have that time of prayer and Bible study so that I can let you live your life through me. So that I can live an extraordinary life in service to others. Bringing in the best that we know we have in Jesus. Is that your desire today, friends? I sure Pray that it is. And I ask the Lord to bless us and keep us in him. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Oh, Father in heaven. Oh, how we need Jesus as never before. As we look around the world and we see the deterioration of things, we see sin abounding. May we ever remember that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the much more. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that no matter what we're facing, that as we come to you, that you will give us the courage and the strength and the victory that we know that we have in you as we give you our lives. Lord, there are some here today I know that yearn and long for a closer walk with you. They want you to live their, your life in their life. That in their home, maybe there's been distraction. Maybe there's been turmoil between husband and wife or between parent and child or between extended family or between coworkers or between neighbors, whatever it may be, Lord. But they say, today, Jesus, give me the strength. Live in me, Lord, that I might be willing to bear the worst and then lovingly give the best that I may make myself a servant to all 
that I would be one that doesn't look to be served or one to be given the best, but that I would give the best and to serve the best and to give my life to those around me. All that we might win the more, that we may win in our home, we may win in our places of influence, that we may win souls to the Lord Jesus Christ, that one day when Jesus comes again, that we will be able to have that golden crown to cast at his feet. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to serve you and continue to serve you and those around you, those around me throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. So, Lord, thank you. We pray that you'll bless us and that you'll keep us, that you'll use us for your name's honor and glory. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And God bless each one of you.